Well, good morning again. Thank you to our, thank you to Isaac and our musicians, and good to be sharing God's word with you again. It's good to have you all here with us this morning. Is that heater on? Yes. Can we turn that off? Because I think we're going to get a bit too stuffy in here. Um, we're going to continue with our series on Abraham and Lot. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. And we'll read from verses 12 to 17 this morning. Genesis chapter 19, verses 12 to 17, as we look at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah this morning. Genesis 19, 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place? For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place. For the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them, and brought, the, and brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Let's go to the Lord and we'll uh, see what he has for us today. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious time when we can look into your word and we pray that your spirit will be working within our hearts even now, drawing us closer to yourself, giving us the grace that we need to understand these words that, that we read and that how we might apply these to our lives in ways that would be honouring to you. We thank you for an opportunity once again to be taught of you and I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would help me to be a, a simple blessing to my brethren here today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been looking at the life of Abraham and Lot, we have now completed about three months worth. Okay, So during these three months, we've seen mostly the way the Lord has worked in Abraham's life. And we sort of saw a fair bit of Lot at the beginning of the story. And now he's sort of popped back up again at the end of the story. And this chapter is the last we hear of Lot. And unfortunately, the, the conclusion to Lot's life is not a happy one. Um, he, at one particular time in his life, split from Abraham. Abraham went one way and Lot went the other way. And as most of you know, Lot is, was Abraham's uh, nephew. And when God called Abraham out of, out of the land of Ur to, to move toward Canaan, because he was going to give him this land as an inheritance forever, uh, Lot went with him and obviously had a faith in God. But... During the course of their lives, they took two very different directions. Abraham's life took one direction, settling in Canaan, 
and we see God's, God's uh, visiting him a number of times and, and working in his life. And we see that even though he made mistakes, he is where God wants him to be. The other one, Lot, ends up moving to Sodom. And he, at the beginning, he didn't move. He wasn't in Sodom. He, was, he moved in the plains that were next to Sodom. You see, Sodom was a city, a very wealthy city, and it was, it was actually part of a twin city sort of system with Sodom and Gomorrah, two very wealthy cities that were built in a plain or existed in a plain that had a, a, a lot of agriculture. So they were rich, okay? But they were desperately wicked. And Lot eventually moves and lives in Sodom. And the Bible tells us that Lot's life was one of anguish. Though he believed in God, he was continually surrounded and, um, and brokenhearted about the sin that was going on around him. So the question we, we, we ask ourselves, obviously, is, well, why would you live in a place that breaks your heart every day and causes you so much misery? And today, maybe we find that answer out. So just recapping quickly on last week, the two angels that had entered into Sodom had been sent there by God to actually be witnesses to the sin that Sodom uh, was committing. And when we talk about sin, we're talking about these guys had gone to another level here. Those two angels that entered that city looked like simple men, like regular men, but Lot somehow recognized them as such and invites them into his home and says, I want you to come stay at my place tonight and I want you to sleep at my house. And they said, no, no, we don't want to do that. We want to stay out all night. We want to see what goes on literally in this city. But he convinced them so hard, he pushed so hard that they said, okay, all right, we'll stay at your place. And so they end up going to his place. He prepares a feast for them, as you would when visitors from heaven come knocking on the door. But before they got to bed before they went to sleep that night there was a knock at the door you see news had gotten around the whole city that two new people had come in and the bible says or tells us that literally the men from all parts of the city arrived at and surrounded lot's house that day and demanded in the middle of the night there that he send these two guys out because they wanted to know them in a carnal way. Okay? And Lot, absolutely shocked at what was going on, realized there's no way he was going he could let this happen. So he went outside the house, closed the door behind him, and tries to reason with them and says, I'm one of you guys. Come on, I'm from I'm from I'm 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 a member of this town. I've I've been living here for so long. He goes, you can't, can't, don't do this stuff. These guys have come here and are staying at my place and it's my job to make sure that they're safe. And they said, well, who are you? You're, you're not one of us. You've come here. You came here as a visitor. Now you want to judge us and tell us we're doing something wrong. They said, we're going to fix you up even worse than we we're going to do what we're going to do to them. And so we find the end of, of last week, Lot is literally pinned against his front door by a mob of guys that are determined to get their way and at the end of that particular thing we find that the angel who was inside 
manages to open the door, grabs Lot and drags him back inside. And that's where we pick up the story today. And they say to him in verse 12, The men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides which? Have you got anyone else here in this town? Son-in-laws or sons or daughters, whoever you've got, bring them out of this place. We're going to destroy it. Because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. In other words, their sins were so great that it reached to heaven. And the Lord had sent us to destroy it. The angels warned Lot and said, we're going to destroy this place. You better take whoever you've got. Go and, go and get them. Go and warn them because we are going to destroy this place because we have now witnessed the type of sin that exists. And it would seem, in verse 14, it says, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Mira, could I get you to get me a glass of water, please? And so... If you remember the, the, the story, the angels had blinded the men that were, that were near the door so they couldn't see, they couldn't find their way to the door. And by the looks of it, the crowd had dispersed after a while. And we're talking about the middle of the night here, like around midnight or something like that. And Lot manages to sneak out of his home and goes to the house of his son-in-laws. Now, he approaches his son-in-laws and he tells them one simple thing up get up and get out of the city get out there's a couple of interesting things to note here because they take what he tells them as a practical joke they think he's actually telling them and tricking them so that that when they go he can actually have a bit of a laugh about it that it wasn't true they think he's actually joking that he's not serious with them i mean if someone knocked on your door and said uh, in the middle of the night, a friend of yours, and said, hey, you better get up because uh, Melbourne's going to go up in flames. Would you immediately believe them? You may think, you know, something's a bit dodgy there. Maybe someone's playing a bit of a joke on me. Well, that's what happened to these two. They think he's playing a joke. They think he's not being serious. But what? there's a couple of interesting points about this, though, because I would suspect that Lot was not telling them with a smile on his face. Okay? He's probably telling them, and he's probably gone and told them, thank you, Biden. He's probably told them about what had just transpired around his house. He's probably explained to them that these two angels have come in and, and, and I've just been, I've nearly lost my own life with this situation. But they couldn't take him seriously. But it, it tells you, I think, something about the relationship that he had with his sons-in-law and I'll happily marry them I will even marry two people that are don't believe in God believe that or not I'll marry them yeah I'll try and um, and share the gospel with them through marriage preparation but I will not marry a Christian and a non-Christian under any circumstance because it's only a recipe for disaster 
The Bible tells us over and over again, do not be unequally yoked. And unfortunately, it looks like Lot's in that position. Let's continue. The entire night's passed. And I'll, I wonder how much sleep they would have got. Probably not very much, knowing that the destruction of the whole city has come about them and that Lot was unsuccessful in actually convincing his wives' betrothed husbands to come along. And I wonder how, what that, how that conversation might have gone between him, his wife, and his daughters when he comes back and says, Sorry, they thought it was a joke. So what do you do? What do you say? How to extract his family in these circumstances? Because I suspect his wife and his daughters didn't want to go and leave them behind. So we find Lot lingering. We find him dilly-dallying. We find him looking for options. But the angels were not in a waiting mood here for the destruction was at hand. And look at verse 15. It says, when the morning arose, so they've gotten to the morning. Nothing's really changed. Maybe they've worked out what to take with them. It says, and when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of a city. Take whoever you've got. Stop messing around. You can't, there's no more time to waste here. This is literally them saying, hurry up and get out. People have often been asked the question, maybe you thought about it yourself. If your house was on fire, what would you save if you only had about 10 or 15 minutes? What would you save? What are the things that you would go back into the house for or, or take with you before, before you left? And a lot of people would say photos or things that are heirlooms or things that remind you of, you know, of, of a family or whatever else, whatever else it may be. Um, what if the whole of Melbourne was going up in flames and you had an hour to get ready? What would you take? What would you do in that last hour? Think about that for a moment. Who would you call? You see, they had no phones in these days. So if you had people who were living, you know, five blocks down, would you, would you take the trip? To them, first thing in the morning or in the middle of the night and say, ah, the whole place is going to go up in flames. We've got to get out straight away. Who would you call? What would you do? Well, this is the dilemma that they were actually in as their, their whole city is about to go up and be destroyed. And so they're doing this sort of business, probably arguing, probably going through them through this motions like, what do we take? Who do we, who, who do we contact? What about so-and-so down the road? What about my uncle? What about my cousin? What about our friends? While they were doing this, verse 16 comes along and says, And while he lingered, the men, those two angels, laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters and the Lord being merciful unto them. And they brought them forth. They dragged them out of that city and set them outside the actual city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. 
Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Lot was playing with fire. The longer they they hung around, the longer they were saying, "What do we do now? Who do we who do we we go to now? Why can't we get our sons-in-law to come along? What do we do? Do we go back? Do we not?" They were playing with fire. Unless something was done, they would perish in the destruction themselves. So the angels took them by their hands. Funny thing, there's two angels with how many hands? Four, and there's four of them to take. And they dragged them out of Sodom. And they set them outside the walls of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, it was a walled city. God was merciful, it says unto them and their family. If God, had let, if God had left them doing that, do you think, when do you think they might have moved? When do you think they may have actually, they probably may have not. They might have, been, might have gotten to the point where it was too late. And God was showing them mercy by leading them out of the city. You know why? Because at that point, when they're outside the city, it's done now. It's too late. God made the decision for them about what they could take and who they would talk to and what they would do. They're now outside the city. Too late. Nothing more to worry about inside. Now, get moving. Get out of this place. Don't look back because it's time to um, it's time for judgment. Um, that's God's mercy. Yeah, God is merciful to people whom he calls to salvation. I've seen the lives of people who have rejected God over and over and over again. And sometimes God puts them in such a position where he separates them from all the things that they've got between them and him. All the things they worry about all their assets and their homes and their riches and their friends and all this sort of stuff. And God in a moment separates them. It might be through a disease, through an illness. It may be through an accident. It may be through whatever. And you might say, oh, that's not nice of God to allow someone to get cancer. It's not nice of God to, to be involved in an accident. So they, no, 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 but it is. Because there's something way more important than just a few years of life ahead of you here. And sometimes people need their eyes opened in a dramatic way. You see, God knows sometimes we need a dramatic event in our lives to actually wake up. Because we go through our lives day by day by day thinking that, oh, is another day going to come tomorrow? Then another day is going to come tomorrow. And then we find ourselves weeks and months and years. And yeah, I know about God. I've heard about him. Yeah, I know about Jesus. He says he's the only way. All right, I know I have to make a decision, but that can wait. It's okay. You know what I mean? I've got plenty of time. Look, at, look, at, I'm still young. I'm pretty healthy here. And God knocks on the door and they don't answer. And God says, hurry up and get out and they mess around and god knocks again i need more time god i need more time here
Sometimes God separates people from what's holding them back from being saved. From sin, from bad influences, from fears about other people and about what other people are going to think about you if you make that decision. And understand that when he, when he dragged them out of the city and put them outside the gate, that's not a picture of salvation. That's a picture of him separating them from what was holding them back, from making a decision. Now they're free to make a decision. That's why I love camps. You know, camps are lovely things. Yeah, we're organising a young adults camp for all you young people out there. Okay, I would encourage you to go. You know why? Because in your everyday life, where you're stuck in front of a phone, and you've got work and you've got commitments and you've got other things that you love to do. When we are all separated from the world and we're at a campsite where phones don't really work well, or don't work at all, um, all of a sudden you've got three days there to think. You've got three days there without all the distractions of the world, without all the messages coming through. And so you can actually think a bit more clearly. That's what this is like. God's taken them out from the distraction and now they've got the opportunity to make a decision. This was not salvation, but mercy. The mercy, mercy that opened the door to salvation for them. And often people who have been led by the hand into a place outside of their confinement, outside of the bondage that's in this world, they have, God gives them an ability to choose. To choose freedom. But do they choose freedom most of the time? No. They end up walking straight back into the city. They go back into the city because the allurement of their life, which they hate, by the way, which they hate with all their might, but they've got no other option because that's what they know. And so they, they learn to love that thing. They go back into the city. They go back to their destructive lifestyles they go back to their bondage. They go back to the, the, the life they hated because they're too fearful of what's outside. So they go back in their cage. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. 2 Peter, the same passage again. And this is a perfect example of what would happen to a person if they were led by the hand, by God, to a place where they could finally see clearly the gospel and they had an opportunity to make a decision and they knew it and they knew it was right, but they chose the opposite. Second Peter 2.20 says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For if it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is, return, is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that is washed to her wallowing in the mire. The call to Lot and his family was to run for your life because judgment is coming. Don't look back. Don't stay, even stay in the plane. Get out from even the, the 
the closeness to this thing. Get as far away as you possibly can because everyone in it is going to be consumed. And they're told not just to flee to, to somewhere you know, close. No, I want you to go to the mountain. Go, you know the, which mountain he told them to go to? The same one that when, when the kings of, um, of Sodom and Gomorrah in a previous, like 20 years before, they ran to this mountain after they had been defeated by, by that king Shadolomo. The mountain becomes like a picture of fleeing to God, of fleeing into the arms of God for protection because that's the only safe place. Heaven is the only safe place to be a citizen of. And the call to all of mankind is the same as the call that these angels gave to Lot and his family. Hurry up and get out because destruction is coming, because judgment is coming, because one day, very soon, the world will be judged for its sin. This world will be judged. This world, in fact, has been judged and found wanting. The God of this world, whom this world is dead. Look at verse 26. It says, But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. This is not some, you know, Medusa business. Where you look at Medusa and you turn into a stone. That's not this. She didn't just glance when they're in the town, have a bit of a look back, and then she all of a sudden turned into a pillar of salt. No, 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 no. This this is why Lot's wife's heart still in Sodom. This is Lot's wife who hadn't entered into Zoa because she was hanging back, because she was still looking probably back at Sodom, not wanting it to be destroyed or wondering whether her sons-in-law were on their way and so she stayed back and she was not in Zohar because Zohar was not destroyed this is more than a glance over her shoulder this is her behind him I don't know how many hundreds of meters she may have been behind him but she was behind him and not next to him what's she not doing with him with her, her children, it's most likely she was well behind. Looking back to see her life, which was about to disappear, and hopefully maybe some friends and family making it out, maybe her heart was still in Sodom and not with her husband, whom she let go ahead with their daughters. Her fear for Sodom, it would seem, was more than her fear of God. Her looking back was a longing and a reluctance to leave and return. She was still very, very connected. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, verse 28. Because it would seem that she could not let go of her life in Sodom. And she becomes a picture of those who are close to being saved, but then ultimately are not. Close to the kingdom of God, but yet so far. And the Bible tells us to remember Lot's wife. There's actually a verse that tells us, remember her. Look at Luke 17, 28. 
Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It's Jesus speaking. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man, when Jesus comes back, he says it's going to be the same thing. When Jesus comes back, people think, oh, you know, it's, it's going to be all, you know, singing kumbaya and, uh, and, and holding hands together. The return of Jesus, and, and people think Jesus is a hippie, a hippie type of Jesus now, who's only, you know, about love. When Jesus returns, every passage in the Bible is about him coming back to destroy, to judge and to destroy every evil in the world. And so Jesus says, you know, the same way it was on Sodom and Gomorrah is the same day, is the same way it's going to be when I come back. And then it says in verse 31, in that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. What's he saying? What's he saying that, that, that Lot's wife didn't do? She didn't trust in God to save her. She was still attached to Sodom. She didn't let it go. Like Lot's wife, when, and I know this is true for me, when I heard the gospel, there was a desire to linger in the world. I did not want to let go of what I had. Because I thought to myself, how can I possibly let go of all this stuff? I enjoy it. And so to, to make that decision, I'm, 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 I'm turning this thing over in my head and I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to lose friends here. I'm going to have to give up this, that and the other. I, I, this is going to be too hard for me to actually do. I can't do this. I can't just trust in, in God to save me and then I'm going to end up losing all this stuff. So what did I do? I waited. Because I needed more time to enjoy it, right? There's a desire to linger, to not let go of the world. And she lost her life because of that. She became, or she becomes, a symbol of rebellious resistance against the warnings of God. Why did she look back? Because her heart was still in Sodom. Maybe where her sons-in-law were. Maybe with all her friends that she may have had. Maybe with the life that she had, that she enjoyed there. Maybe she was living in wealth and thought, it's all gone now. And this is the warning to all those who have heard the gospel. Um, Spurgeon once says, one of the biggest shames that you could ever imagine is that there's a gate. Jesus speaks about him being the gate and that you need to enter through the gate to receive eternal life. And he said, so there's, unfortunately, people don't go through the gate because to go through the gate means I'm then on the other side. Okay, so I have to let go of whatever's on this side of the, of the fence, right? So what they do is they make a religion. And then what you do is you, you, you pitch a tent near the gate, right? And so 
Without going through the gate, you pitch a tent there, and then you might make a monument there at the gate, and then you can do other things like have picnics there and, and do good works all around the gate in honour of the gate, right? Because if I honour the gate, surely that's enough. And if I'm doing all these things uh, in honour of the gate and say, what a wonderful gate that is. Look at that. That's the, that's the way to heaven. Um, you know, if, if I do all these things, if I follow my religion, if I follow all the rules, if I try to be a good person, then surely God's going to be happy about me honouring the gate. But God doesn't say to honour the gate. God says to go through the gate. And the biggest shame... And the, 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 the most terrible thing you can imagine is that when judgment comes, you've spent your whole life at the gate. And you haven't taken the step. And there are millions upon millions of people in this world who are living at the gate, but are too afraid to go through the gate. And that's the story of Lot's wife. She never made it into... Zoa. Never got in there. She was behind the rest of the family, trapped between Sodom and a new life. And on top of that now, so her husband's lost her. And now he's going to lose something else. He's going to lose his dignity. In verse 30. So I can imagine he's mourned his wife while he's in Zohar with his two daughters. And it says in verse 30, And Lot went up out of Zohar and dwelt in the mountain. He got there and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zohar. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters in a cave. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father's old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesterday night with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. Now this is probably the most difficult thing to read in the Bible. Lot's only two daughters who have been betrothed to two other men who are now dead in Sodom because they chose not to believe the warning now find themselves living in a cave with their father. Their father now too fearful to live in Zoar. I suppose he's having some serious anxiety issues after his whole life has gone up in flames. Maybe he's thinking God's going to annihilate Zoar as well, so we better go. So you notice the angel told him, go to the mountain. He said, can I go to Zoar instead? He didn't stay in Zoar. 
He went to Zoa for what reason? I'm not entirely sure. But he then ends up after in the mountain and he ends up living in a cave. Now, God said to flee to the mountain so you avoid the destruction. There is not an indication that God said, I want you to live for the rest of your life on a mountain. He's gone and done it the opposite way. He's gone and moved to Zohar and then gone to a mountain instead of going to the mountain and then probably coming down and starting his life again. You see, the question arose the other night in conversation, why didn't he just go after to Abraham? He's got his uncle. Is it going to produce some devastating results along the way? Yes. If you don't tell people the truth because you want a nice result at the end and just tell them what they want to hear, then that person can live a life for the rest of their lives. The world's way of thinking says it's okay to kill my baby before it's born. You know why? Because the mother's getting anxiety. And so she's anxious about how this baby is going to live and whether she's got the resources to do it and she's not ready for it and whatever else it may be. So in a way to relieve her anxiety, do we want to relieve people's anxieties? Yeah. I'm, I'll, I can kill the child and then just move on with life. And God says, no. The end doesn't justify the means. It's murder. And there are hundreds of examples I could give you, but I haven't got the time. The end does not justify the means if the means are declared unlawful by God. It'd be lovely to have a million dollars just here, but robbing a bank to get it is breaking the law, right? If the goals we set ourselves in life are outside the boundaries that God has ordained, then they are wrong and should be avoided. Lot's daughters were not converted. Their hearts were still in Sodom. Their minds were still thinking like the world. And the results were devastating. Not only did they dishonor their father with what they did, they destroyed his name. And the children they produced became a thorn in the side of Abraham's descendants for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after. Sin and the fruits of sin produced a lineage that became a testimony of that sin for a long, long time. And this is what I want to leave you with today. The Bible warns us about the world. It warns us about the thinking of the world. It says in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not the Father. And those three things will hold you back from going through the gate of Jesus Christ. Your pride, your lust, and the things that you are holding on to in this world that you don't want to let go of. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Today, we have seen the devastating effects of being trapped in the world, 
of not leaving the world, of not responding to the call of salvation, but lingering in the world. We've seen it in the life of Lot's wife. We've seen it in Lot allowing himself to be unequally yoked. We've seen it, and even though he was saved, Lot's life was destroyed because he did not choose wisely. And we see it in the thinking of his two daughters. Love not the world. Don't love the way the world thinks. Don't love the things in the world because they are incompatible with God. But there is only one who can set a person free. There is only one who can set you free from being bound in this world, from being um, blinded by this world, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can set you free. He can take you out of the city and he can set you on top of a mountain with him. And I'll leave you with this verse for you to consider if you haven't already received him as your Lord and Saviour. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. God bless you. Thank you.